In this podcast, we talk about the Enlightenment of the 18th century, and you may want to look at your slideshow as a reference. There are two ways of describing the Enlightenment. First of all, the word means that it was the spirit of the times in the 18th century to believe that there were new ways of discovering the truth about the world, not just the scientific world, but the world of human relations and politics. And it was like the light bulb had been turned on and had illuminated things as people had never before understood the world. And now they felt that they understood it. Now, there are two definitions, or two ways of describing the Enlightenment. First, it was a philosophical movement in which men of letters, that is, scholars, around the world, in constant communication, sought the laws of nature and tried to reason out, or figure out, the social and political implications of these scientific discoveries that we already talked about. Another way of looking at the Enlightenment which is not in conflict with that first definition, is that it was a period in European intellectual history, that is, a period in the history of ideas, dominated by the idea that human reason, not religion, was the primary source of knowledge about the world around us. Now, as far as the causes of the Enlightenment are concerned, uh, part of the cause was the scientific revolution. Also, the impact of the English Glorious Revolution of 1689, specifically the idea that revolutions can be rightful rather than criminal. They can be actions to restore what nature originally intended, that is, a government that was based on natural law. It was also based on a growing sense that man was good, And if you think about it, what we have in the 18th century is the invention of the idea of human rights, that humans have rights just because they're humans, just because they're part of nature. During the age of religious influence, the notion that men had rights just because they were men had never been considered because people believed that humans were sinful and had no rights whatsoever, since they were fallen angels as a result of Adam's fall. But the Enlightenment reflected the new views of nature. Now, we already looked at the scientific revolution, so we don't have to linger there. But uh, if you skip down to the slide where it talks about the Enlightenment principles, uh, let's review those. First, nature is rational. It is knowable. We can know it. We can know its secrets with the use of our reason. Every man is supposed to use reason. Uh, Most of the Enlightenment philosophers did believe in God, although not a God that we might recognize. They did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. instead, Instead, they believed that God was a force that had created the laws of nature and then let the laws of nature control the world. God withdrew from the world because he's not necessary 
to have the laws of nature function, and the world can go on ticking just like a watch after the watchmaker has sold it. So this notion is called deism. It is not a belief that God listens to prayers or cares about moral activities of human beings. God is not listening. God does not need to listen because God has created humans to be able to help themselves with their own reason. But in in addition, the idea was that man, because man is a part of nature, is naturally good. If humans are free to reason these laws out, they can invent inventions and forms of government that can be highly useful to humans. Now, I have to emphasize that word useful because the Enlightenment philosophers did not believe they could create a perfect world. They understood that humans were spiteful, humans had weaknesses, they were jealous, Uh, sometimes they were mean. Uh, The Enlightenment philosophers liked to believe that that was because of institutions that were not natural and that had corrupted humans. But nevertheless, they did not believe that humans could be perfected, although they did believe that things could be made better all the time and should be with the use of our reason. So if you notice this vocabulary, they believed in useful things or utility. They believed in tolerating people's religious beliefs as long as those people left them alone. They believed in the possibility of happiness, which had never been considered by philosophers before. Again, they invented human rights, and they were extremely practical in their idealism. They were not revolutionary. That's important to remind yourself, because, of course, we tend to associate the uh, American Revolution and the French Revolution with the ideas of the Enlightenment. And there may well have been a connection. But if so, it was unintended. In other words, the philosophers of the Enlightenment may have triggered these revolutions unknowingly and unintentionally, but they certainly did not want their ideas to lead to revolutions. They often believed in something called enlightened despotism, which is to say a powerful monarch who uses his powers to make life more pleasant, to make life more stable and orderly, and to protect the rights of the people. So, it's not surprising that they supported a certain type of monarch, first because they were not revolutionary, as I said, and second because they depended on the kings to be their patrons, They depended on the kings to give them jobs, and many of the kings did so, or monarchs. Uh, One of the most famous was Catherine the Great of Russia. They weren't all men. So, uh, when we look at typical philosophers of the Enlightenment, I believe the two stand out. Benjamin Franklin, who was an American philosoph, and Voltaire, a French writer, and 
probably the ultimate example of a philosoph of the Enlightenment. Benjamin Franklin uh, epitomizes this Enlightenment because his life uh, stretched across nearly the entire span of the 18th century. Franklin was born in 1706, and he died in 1790. Like all the other philosophers, Franklin was a practical dreamer. He did not believe in human perfection, but he believed that life could be made less lousy with practical reforms and practical inventions. He invented bifocal spectacles. He invented the Franklin stove, which was a cheap way to design a stove that would conserve heat and use less fuel to keep people's homes on the frontier warm. And then he did not put a patent on it because he didn't want to make money from it. He wanted to help other people. And so one of the phrases we associate with the Enlightenment is other-directed. The philosophers of the Enlightenment were other-directed. They were directed outward to helping other people, not to helping themselves, not just to feed their face. They believed they were on earth to do good for others. Another interesting thing about the Enlightenment is that the philosophers wanted to uh, provide freedom for all men, not just the bourgeoisie, not just the people of their own class. And that was new in history as well. Uh, Franklin did experiments with electricity, as you know, and in the second half of his life, he became a reformer, and he was the only man who signed all three documents of, a, of the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Paris, which won the Revolution, and finally, the Constitution of the United States in 1789. And, of course, Franklin had this famous phrase, uh, the Constitution was negotiated behind closed doors, and when he left Constitution Hall, a woman stopped him and said, Dr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? And he is supposed to have replied, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. What a profound statement. What a profoundly timely statement. Because, of course, today we are wrestling with the question of whether a republic can survive indefinitely without support from the people. So, in the case of uh, Benjamin Franklin, we see somebody who epitomizes the Enlightenment. Now, there's also been criticism of the Enlightenment. Uh, freedom has often turned into licentiousness. Licentiousness means acting crazy, you know. If you have freedom, that's great. But if people use that freedom to only serve their own interests, you could have wild disorder. And many people believe that you can't afford to create a government with too much freedom because that might lead to licentiousness. Uh, we today always talk about our rights, but not so much our responsibilities. And some people blame the Enlightenment for that. Uh, we are always suing each other. Many Americans sue other Americans. We love to sue. 
but we don't talk about our responsibilities to an equal degree. Was the Enlightenment positive or negative? Well, it was a bit of both. Now, Voltaire is the other guy who we associate with the Enlightenment. Voltaire was famous for his novel, Candide, published in 1759. Candide is a story about a candid young man who is so naive, he believes that this is the best of all possible worlds. But he also believes that the world is wonderful and perfect and nothing can ever go wrong. And the story is very funny because Candide walks through life and doesn't suffer a scratch, but all the bodies are falling around him, and yet he still thinks the world is perfect. Now, obviously, Voltaire is using Candide as a foil to show what a foolish idea the idea of perfection actually is. Uh, Voltaire was skeptical of progress. He saw disasters everywhere, and he didn't think that human life could ever be made perfect. But he did believe that we should tolerate other people's religious beliefs, and he had no patience for oppressive government, and especially no patience for oppressive priests. And people like Voltaire and the French philosophers were primarily anti-clerical, or that is, anti-priest, anti-Catholic church, something you don't see in the United States because there was no established church here to oppose. Voltaire was also a contributor to the most famous books of the Enlightenment, namely the Encyclopédie, or Encyclopedia. The Encyclopedia was a series of reference books, as we generally consider encyclopedias to be, by uh, the French philosophers and others, including Voltaire. The editor of the Encyclopedia was a man named Denis Diderot. Denis Diderot. And the Encyclopedia is famous because it was a machine of war. In other words, it was a propaganda instrument of the Enlightenment. And the Encyclopedia reflects the Enlightenment because it was a machine of war. It was self-consciously utilitarian and anti-church. It tried to tear down the church in its various articles. Uh, One thing that you see in the Encyclopedia that was new was that the articles were organized by alphabetical order. In other words, articles were not organized according to their supposed importance, but rather in terms simply of alphabetical order so that people could find the article easily. That would make the encyclopedia useful. But the other thing that the encyclopedia does is it constantly argues against the church It talks about how intolerance is a great crime and should never be tolerated. That is, we shouldn't tolerate intolerance. And we should make sure that people are free to practice their own religion. Now, this was dangerous in France, and many of the editors and writers of the the encyclopedia, including Diderot and Voltaire, 
wound up in jail from time to time. Uh, but the encyclopedia was a famous example of the, the effort by the philosophers to be other-directed and to help human beings improve their lousy lives and at least make them better than they were before. Now, there were some criticisms of the Enlightenment and the encyclopedia. Uh, when you're intolerant of intolerance, you substitute tolerance for religion, and it becomes a kind of religion, and you might want to do violence in the name of tolerance. And that's the danger here. They seem to be intolerant in the name of reason. They converted reason into a kind of religion of itself. And by publishing a machine of war, they seem to be in favor of some kind of war. And they also held out these ideas to all men. As I said, they supported human rights, and they campaigned against slavery. So even though they were comfortable white men living in Paris, they cared about people like black slaves. And so there was a revolutionary undertone to the Enlightenment ideas, and it would help spur both the American Revolution and the French Revolution in years to come. So in your essay of review of the Age of Absolutism, try to find something that you find valuable about the Enlightenment and new and explain how it relates to the ideas of the Enlightenment that I've sketched here. Until then, happy history musings.